Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, ESPN.com, he is Stephen Holder. How are you enjoying this glorious day besides having to waste 20 or so minutes being with me? <laughs> well, let's just say uh, I didn't get much use out of it for the past 45 minutes because I took me a nap. Okay, well done. Uh, well done. But listen, hey, listen. I, I, I've been I've been surprisingly busy this off season between doing the Colts and chasing other stories I've been working on, unrelated. So I I, I came to a point this week where I was like, enough. <laughs> I take naps all the time, but I take them like I'm I'm out and I start at three. And I will mm-hmm. get to where I'm going, for example. If I'm on location, I'll get there a couple of hours early and I'll take a nap in my truck to a point one time <laughs> one time a policeman walked by and knocked on my windshield because I think he thought I was either passed out or dead. Well he's like, Who's this drunk guy behind the wheel? I better do something here. <laughs> no. I'm just I am I'm preparing for a show right here and taking a nap. So occasionally in this building, you'll catch me down on five. I'll be down on five asleep before the show too. So I, you gotta get a little power nap. A little power nap never hurt anybody. Oh yeah, man, that's right. Yeah, but I, I'm definitely uh, I'm gonna get outside here when we're done though, that's for sure. Um what we uh I'm curious if you have a similar thought, and I've laid this out a couple of different times. I I think that it's interesting because we have heard literally nothing. Now, granted, I'm not talking about information coming out of the Colts because that thing's locked up tight. We can obviously yeah. tell that. But just in terms of rumor stuff, there has been nothing. And my point has been, I think that that backs up my claim that they feel comfortable with what they're going to get at four, and they're going to stay at four. Is that a reasonable angle to have at this point? I don't think it's unreasonable. So I guess I say that's, that it's reasonable. I would say this. This is the one caveat. I think they have to kind of watch and see and maybe get some intel on, on what might happen in front of them because so that's always ebbing and flowing. And I, obviously number three is what I'm talking about. I'm also though talking about before number three. Now that's a very key, a key part of this, right? What do they know about what's going to happen in the first three picks? Now you never truly know, quote unquote, no, but you do have some kernels of information you can glean. They're going to have more information than we have. You know, their scouts talk to other scouts. They're at the pro days. They talk to the players, the agents, and they they can put all of that information together and maybe get some sense of of what it looks like. You know, for example, what is happening at number one, right? If the if the Panthers do take Bryce Young, here's here's something that I think is brewing. You know, is this a real conversation about about the Texans not taking C.J. Stroud if, if he's 
if Bryce Young is gone, right? I mean, that conversation is building some momentum. I have no idea if it's true. But my point to you is, hopefully, the Colts are, are putting in the work and, and trying to glean some information about what's happening there. Because that, I think, ultimately, those are the things that are, that are going to kind of dictate how strongly you feel about having to move to number three. So I answer your question. Yeah, I think your point is reasonable, but I also think this is part of what's happening behind the scenes. And it's really hard to know how much they actually know about some of that and, and some of those machinations. But I think that matters a lot. So are you saying when, and I mean, everyone, every general manager, every executive, every team after the draft always tells us, we knew it was going to go that way. We knew the board was going to go that way. So I'm assuming right now, if all of that is always true, that they know what's going to happen right now, or they believe they know what's going to happen right now, and that is going to get solidified as we get closer to the actual date in less than two weeks. Yeah, they, it's true. They always do say that. And and I think <laughs> I don't think it's always true. Right? I think they're very good at, at acting like they're – in control of things, they're really not in control. But but I do think they, as I said, they have more information than we do. And I do think that's true. I think that they use that to their advantage. That that has to be – I think some teams are better at it than others, right? Or some teams are better at anticipating scenarios than other teams. I don't know what are all uh, of the ways that they glean that information. It's actually a story that I'm thinking about working on. Um I want to know some of the tricks, like how do they know what's going to happen? Right. Or how well do they know? It's it's very interesting to me because I, I think if you have that piece, it's less about what you're going to do, especially when there's, there's teams in front of you that impact your pick. It's less about what you're going to do. And it's all about what everybody else is going to do because that's going to dictate what's available to you at the end of the day. Right. And that's why I say that I think they're comfortable with where they are. Yeah. Because they feel yeah, that they so, know that. And that's that's my theory. I and agree. again, it can be completely proven wrong. And it can be proven wrong by somebody throwing a Fernando Valenzuela screwball up there at the very mm-hmm. beginning and kind of mm-hmm. upsetting it, which which really could ultimately play into the Colts' favor if you're not so much dialed into the land of <laughs> Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or right. Will Anderson or trading back or whatever the hell. Yeah, I think that that does make sense, right? That, and and here's the thing: there's only three picks ahead of them, right? So there are only so many scenarios. I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of scenarios potentially, but likely scenarios, right? There's only so many likely scenarios, and if you have gone through and played through all of those scenarios, and you are comfortable with at least most of them then I guess I agree that, you know, if you sit at four, uh, you're, you're going to be able to accept whatever outcome yeah. uh, comes to you. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think that tells us that because had yeah. they been worried about that, they would have and certainly could have done something about it. Well, they, they had, they've had multiple opportunities to do something. They had an opportunity to go to number one. They, they didn't seem very interested in that from all indications not just because they didn't do it, but also because it appears just from the intel we've gotten that they didn't try very hard, number one. So that's that's one indicator. And then right now, I think the, the fact that that 
that Carolina trade happened so early, I think it creates some urgency. If you are trying to go to number three, I think it, it creates some urgency there because there's already been a big trade in this draft. You would think that there'd be urgency uh, by teams trying to go to number three and that that wouldn't necessarily happen on draft night as we're accustomed to. Right. So that hasn't happened. And I guess what we're exactly a couple weeks out now. So yeah, I think it's a it's a reasonable assumption to make. And I think there's also another angle to this. You talk about being comfortable, you know, with, with how this would go. I, I think we also know there hasn't been a lot of separation between these quarterbacks for the Colts from, from every indication, at least between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, uh, from from what I have heard. And, and I think that would be what your information uh, reflects as well. If they haven't, if they if they don't have a lot of separation between how they have these guys ranked, well then, why go up and give up the assets to move up? Right. That's the other side of that coin. Um, at the end of the day, you're you're fine with either guy potentially. You know. So I I agree with you. I agree. So Stephen Older via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. They satisfied, as I feel that they are right now, with a, a peak of this offensive line, other than you know figuring out what they're going to do at right guard. Are they satisfied with Ryman and the other three standbys, figuring out what to do at right guard, and then believing last year was maybe more of a product from either a – a bad quarterback who could not get out of the way from anything, couldn't throw the ball down the field, and you know maybe even if you want to throw him under the bus as well. And I know we did many a time. Chris Strasser as the coach of that unit are they are they hoping and believing that a change of scenery under center will make this offensive line better? It sure looks like it, but <laughs> I actually don't know that I I think I don't know that the quarterback is going to be that much of a game changer for them, though. I think it has to be performance, too, you know. Um, the, the quarterback situation was was definitely a, a problem. It's pretty horrific. I mean, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, but, I, but I'm also saying I don't think changing the quarterback necessarily flips this thing 180. You know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be some improvement, too. There has to be. And, and I think when you when you look at it, uh, Ryan Kelly, I really felt that they, they felt Ryan Kelly was salvageable. Uh, there, there was some, some sentiment of that all along. I think they wanted to find out whether the new coaching staff agreed, and clearly they do, right? So Ryan Kelly, they think, is salvageable. He's back. Uh, the right guard situation really did impact him, I believe, and it definitely impacted uh, the running game for sure. You know that was that was a big problem last year. The, the, the fact that they couldn't get the running game going, I, I think that was a, a big indicator that it wasn't just about the quarterback. Uh, the the lack of running lanes for Jonathan Taylor, what had nothing to do with the quarterback. It, it had some maybe in terms of the defenses and how they were playing them, but but it but it really was a product of of what was happening up front. Unless we think that Jonathan Taylor lost his magic, and I don't, I know he was hurt. But I, I really think that was a product of, of subpar play up front. You know, that, that right guard spot was a huge factor there. Brian Kelly didn't play it quite as well as well. So that's a factor. Uh, Quentin Nelson played below his expectations. And then left, left tackle was just a disaster early. Got better. Uh, I think they're hoping for that 
to continue this year. So they got to figure out right guard. Uh, Braden Smith's going to be fine, I think. I thought he started poorly but got better, and I don't think he was quite as as weak later on. I thought he, he played pretty close to his level later on. So I think he's going to be fine at right tackle. But but the, the left tackle has to stabilize. Right guard's got to be uh, just a complete change, I think. And then Ryan Kelly's got to be better. Quentin Nelson will be fine, I think. But, you know, there was a lot going on, okay? Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'll give you an, a new twist to that question, too. Maybe even not so much considering – any change in quarterback that was an absolute mess a year ago. But how much of is it, is it believing that the change in offensive philosophy and Shane Steichen is going to help this group? Certainly more than it got. I mean, is that more than, than the credit that you would give to whatever quarterbacks under center with the way that this offensive line plays? I mean, are they giving a lot of credit here to Shane Steichen? Because, listen, I do yeah. I think that it can happen? Yes, but we still have to see it, so I guess I'm still a bit on the outside looking in, but is that their theory? Yeah, a lot of – listen, you, you're, that's that can apply to a lot of things, frankly. They're putting a lot of faith in Shane Steichen, and this goes way beyond the offensive line. I think it's an important point because – you're right. We we are making some assumptions here. And they hired the guy, so they obviously believe in him, but but you are right. We still have to see it. There's no doubt about that. I don't I don't disregard that at all. I think when you talk about the young quarterback and and his ultimate success, whoever it is, that is a direct link to how good is Shane Steichen. Okay? That's a fact. Uh the offensive line and, and turning that around, that's going to be largely about scheme and and obviously getting better performance as well. But the scheme has to be part of that, too. There's no question about that. Uh, I think when you talk about, you know, guys like Jonathan Taylor and getting him back to where he needs to be, that has to come down to 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 scheme and and play selection and, and all of these things. So there's a lot on Shane Steichen here. I don't disagree with that at all. In fact, I think we need to talk about that more. I really do. Because he's a first-time coach. He, he certainly has been productive as an offensive play caller, but he does not have the Eagles' offensive personnel here. Okay, This is a different situation, and this is going to require a lot more of him. So I want to see if he's up to the task, man. I really do. It's going to be interesting. And, you know, he's, he's got maybe not the most experienced offensive staff as well. So that's going to put even more on his shoulders as well. So this is going to be an ongoing storyline throughout the season, I believe, you know, to, to find out what this guy's made of. All right. And Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Maybe, again, it's, it's different and Gus Bradley's still here. And his guy is the head coach at Chicago. Um, Rocky Yassin is still out there. He is a former Colts cornerback. And certainly if you look at the depth chart at corner right now, this team is in desperate need of some bodies there. Is that at all still as an unrestricted free agent? Uh, any interest there? Or will he, you think, ultimately be maybe reunited with Matt Eberflus in Chicago here at some point? That's, I think Chicago makes a lot of sense and, and it's probably more likely, but, but, I, but I think it's, it's a position they got to do something about. Uh, it does feel like 
it's a target in the draft. That could be that that could be where they're going here. I mean, Chris Ballard does like to target cornerbacks. He doesn't necessarily draft them very high, and, and maybe that should change. But but I do think they're going to draft one somewhere. I, I think one of the things they've done over the years is is draft a lot of defensive ends really high. Um, maybe maybe it's time for a corner to be targeted with one of those picks they've used on, on defensive ends to, to, you know, with mixed results, by the way. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think that's, that's the question for me. Do you go out there and you, and you pay somebody or do you, do you maybe make that a, a priority in the draft? I actually wouldn't mind them making it a priority in the draft. I think there, there have been a lot of, Corners have a lot of success very early on in recent years as young corners. So you can find those guys and and have them play pretty early on. Uh, but I agree with you, the depth chart is shaky at that position. I think Stephon Gilmore gave them real credibility in their secondary. And, and when you trade him, I get that he was 32 going on 33, but uh, his performance was what it was, and it was very good. And, and they have lost a lot of credibility in the secondary at corner in particular without him there. Um, now, Kenny Moore being back does stabilize things a little bit, but, but I agree. I think in the long term, uh, they're going to need somebody reputable back there. And I, that's why I think it's, it's a, a concern or a, I should say a target in the draft. Is, is Rock reasonable there, you think, or is that no way? They're, just, they're not going to go back to that. Hard to read, man. You know, I don't know. It, it just because I think I look at it this way. When Gus Bradley came in here, I mean, one of the first things they did was trade him. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know why they traded him. They wanted he wanted that particular uh, type of he wanted a particular type of rusher, and he got that in Ngakwe. But uh, I don't know. I I also. It also depends on money too. I mean, if you, get, you know, Chris Ballard plays that waiting game, and and if he's if he's at a certain price, maybe it becomes more reasonable. But but what I worry, what I wonder about more is less about Chris Ballard and more about what is Gus Bradley like. I, I don't know, I don't know what kind of corner he likes. <laughs> just, I don't understand. I'm not exactly, I'm not entirely sure. And I, what I say when I say that is because you know, last year we talked about this. You know, when it came time for you know some of the the some of the personnel decisions they were making at times. I was a little confused myself, so I don't know. I, I just don't really know. I, I don't really know what his mindset is when it comes to corners. Maybe that's why they go draft one and give him what he really wants. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I would consider that too. Stephen Holder, VSPN.com's with us. Um, I think you guys got a similar answer as I did going back to the February combine here in Indy from Chris Ballard. When I asked him about Shaquille Leonard, he said, I would not bet against him, which you can take as, you know, wow, he does believe in him. Or you can also suggest, well, he had zero to say on that. So I don't know if he's ever going to be back to what he, he once was. I'll ask you this. What do you expect? Because that's a big deal moving forward here you know what he is going to be you think he ever will be what people came to expect or i guess i could phrase it this way or you have a a number of questions until you actually see him play about that no you're right you know on a couple points number one it is a big deal like a huge deal because i would submit to you i have no way of proving this but i would submit to you that if 
Shaquille Leonard plays at 100% last season and plays the whole year, he probably gets you a couple more wins. Okay? that His ability to take the ball away, it changes games. It literally changes games. And so you have the guy who – who has maybe the single biggest impact of any player on the team in, in terms of just individually, right? He, may, he might be that guy. He might be the guy who has the single biggest impact, and he wasn't there. And when he did play, you could basically say he wasn't there, <laughs> okay? Because it wasn't good. So what I'm saying to you is, yes, I agree. It's a huge deal, and it's a game changer if he's out there. Uh, how do I take it? I, I think they're cautious. They're going to be cautious. And they they kind of got burned with that last year for a couple of reasons. Number one, it, it was a difficult thing to diagnose. Uh, so, you know, you're at the mercy of the, the medical experts and and somewhat at the mercy of, of the player and and how he handles things. And, look, I mean, they they wanted to believe that he was back. And I think – my read of it is that Shaquille was was really eager to get back in the lineup and was was impatient and and wanted to see some progress. So they kind of you know let him kind of ease back in and and probably let that process go a little faster than it should have. To be completely honest with you, and then the reality is it wasn't totally fixed either. So so he was he wanted to do more and kept wanting to do more. And yet the results really weren't coming because medically it, it wasn't, he wasn't where he needed to be. And that thing wasn't completely fixed. So this is a long answer, but what I'm saying is they're hoping they've got, they've got it right. And the truth is they won't know for some time until you truly get out there and he really pushes uh, at the level he has to push. That's when he's going to know whether that thing is really firing where it's supposed to be. I've gotten some good intel on it, but I mean, it's so early that, you know, what, what stock can you put in it? Right. That's kind of where we're at. But the, the good thing is that the timeline now is very different than last year. Shaquille had that surgery, I believe in June last year. So much closer to the season. Now he, he basically missed almost an entire season, but uh, he's got a lot of time between the surgery and the time they put the pads on in August, right? So, so he's on a much different timeline now, and they're going to know much further ahead of time uh, than they did last year. That, that's the other factor here. That, that surgery happened so late in the offseason that there was a one-shot deal. You know, they had one, one attempt at it to, to kind of get this right. So now they did the surgery. They can do different approaches to rehab, bring them along slowly. They can do baby steps for months here. So hopefully that works, man. I, I, don't, I can't tell you anything more than that, and I don't think they can either. And, and that's just the reality of it. It's going to be a long road until we get some certainty, uh, but it, it's a huge, huge question, and I think it changes everything for the Colts if did, he's out there. Did you talk to Buckner? I was there for that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, did Chris Ballard talk to to guys like Buckner, uh, the veteran leaders on this team? You know about the direction, and you know if they were you know okay with it. Is that kind of how that went down? Is that accurate? Well, I my read on that is actually is, is actually slightly different because that's what Buckner said, right? Or that's yeah, how yeah, he answered yeah. the question. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. 
So I remember talking to, to DeForest at the end of the year and asking him, you know, just what he envisioned for his future. And he told me at that time that he wanted to hear from Chris Ballard. So I don't know whether he walked into Chris's office and said, we need to talk or whether Chris reached out to him. My read is that DeForest wanted to talk. And so I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's that unusual. I do think that Chris Ballard does do that with a lot of his, his core guys. Uh, he, he tries to have that open door policy. So I don't think it's, it's unusual, but I do think, I think both guys wanted to have that conversation. If you're Chris Ballard, you, you got to know that, that, that this guy is, is on your side and that he's with you, right? I mean, I think that's just smart. And then on the other side, you had DeForest Buckner, who had just been through basically another hellish season. Is like, I'm sick of this. <laughs> Where are we going? And, and I think he probably needed to hear from Chris Ballard, like, hey, I've got a plan. I don't know what the plan is necessarily uh, because I don't think they've articulated it. But, but the, the fact is he heard what he needed to hear and he's on board. So I, I really think time away from things does kind of let you simmer down to my conversations with the forest after the season. uh, There was a lot of frustration there and he, I I never got the sense he was going to ask to be traded or anything like that. But, but I also knew that, that he wasn't pleased with where things were. So, so I'm happy to hear that he is pleased with whatever direction this is going. Um, But, but I also think he's placing a lot of trust in Chris Ballard which is what he said. He said, I, I trust Chris. But that doesn't mean that he has all the answers, <laughs> that, that DeForest got all the answers. I don't think he got all the answers. I think it was more a matter of like, hey, hang in there. We're going to get this right. That doesn't mean they answered the questions. It just means that he trusts them to, to get the answers right eventually. I, does that what, make sense? Yeah, that does. It, well, I just I'm I'm curious because I'm trying to just you know w- with that response that he had, I was trying to read the room as to all right, yeah. then what was he told? Accepting a you know a long it's kind of what Rick Carlisle told me of the Pacers back in October when you know just kind of chill out a little bit. This could be a bumpy ride kind of thing, mm-hmm. and he in I just was wondering if that's the conversation he got. In, in describing how to accept this draft and then this this upcoming season. Stephen Holder yeah. joins us. Go ahead. You, you got something it's, you want to add here? Because I got one final yeah. question for you. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I really think I, – I think the, the Carlisle thing is is applicable here, right? I, I do think – Well, there's no question about that. Right. Absolutely. Because they, they did – the Pacers did something that the Colts really need to do this year. And they, the Pacers went through yeah. December and gave this fan base hope – and interest and the Colts need to find somehow some way to infuse that to this fan base because going in there's not a lot there I think this this could be this could be their Pacers season (laughs) you know what I'm saying like this could be the, the, the the next season for the Colts might be last season this this just completed season for the Pacers and if it if it's that then I think I think it's okay and what I mean by that, let me define what I mean. What I mean is you can see the vision. If we can see the vision, then I think this thing will be successful. This ain't going to be about wins and losses for me. I, I don't think it is because they've made it about trying to win for the last five years, and they haven't done a damn thing ultimately, right? They, they've made no progress 
in the aggregate, when you look at it in its totality, they haven't made any progress as an organization. They won some games here and there, but you know, they haven't progressed. They haven't done anything. So I think this is, I don't know if you want to call it a rebuild, a reset. I don't care what you call it. I, I just think this is really about long-term progress. And, and for that, you really got to see progress at quarterback and you just want to see growth in general. Look, that's just where they are right now. So, so I think I think the Pacers analogy is very accurate and, and appropriate right now. All right. I'm just pulling this out of my rear end here to close here. I'll set the over under at eight. Where would you go? Which side of that would you go with? For Starts wins? at quarterback for oh. Gardner Minshew. Oh, okay. The over under is eight. Yeah. Hmm. Uh I think I think under. And here's why. Because I don't think they're going to be good. So if you're not good and you're not playing for anything, then who cares that you play the veteran quarterback? I mean, let the kid play. (laughs) That's what I'd say. Put that kid out there, whoever the hell he is, and play that kid and let him learn. Now, I mean, I I think you you obviously know that there can be some – there can be some pluses and minuses to going through and and taking your lumps as a young quarterback. I understand that. I'm not saying put him in day one, but I think this is going to be such a a situation where I think this team might have some struggles. And I think at some point there's not going to be a justification for, for keeping the rookie on the sideline. I mean, I've been through this before covering the NFL where you have a team that's not good. You have a young quarterback and it just gets to the, to a to a, a a point where the fan base and even the team has to ask itself, okay, what are we doing? What's the point of this? And so you just have to put the kid in there. I think it's going to be that kind of year. Now, you know, if Gardner Minshew got in there and they ripped off a bunch of wins or something, that'd be one thing. But, I mean, do we think that's going to happen? Because I don't. You know, so I think they're going to get out there and they're going to get to a point pretty quickly where they say, okay, let's just play this kid. So that's why I say under. Under? Under eight. We'll keep that in mind as we move forward here. All right, we're going to let Stephen Holder get out there and enjoy this glorious day from ESPN.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, I appreciate it. And uh, next week, the week after that, closer and closer to finding out exactly what they're going to do it for. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right, my man. I'll see you. Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Staked out in BloomingtonPeaks.com and I'm sure monitoring the transfer portal and what transpires from that was some good news earlier this week regarding the transfer portal and the IU program in mind. Our friend Jeff Rabjohns again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Man, I am good, and I got the biggest kick out of your video from, I'm guessing, your tractor while you are mowing your yard. The Spartan Lawnmower from the Mower Shop in Fishers right there. Shout out to Paul. Indeed. Yes. That was very entertaining. I yeah. got a big kick out of that. I uh, I mow often, and um, I like to mow. I mow really fast, though, and luckily the Spartan goes really fast. So I don't like to be out there that long, but I do enjoy doing it. But thanks for watching, man. Appreciate that. Of course. That got you away for, what, a minute and a half or so from what you're having to cover right now. Do um. I want to ask you this because you're so on the inside of it all here. I asked this question earlier this week as well, but I'll get your opinion. Where are we considering the importance now? And I I know 
where we are with IU in mind this offseason, Jeff. But where are we in general terms of levels of importance with recruiting compared to now the transfer portal and utilizing NIL in that fashion? Which one Which one is more important right now? And are we getting to a point where maybe the whole transfer portal is becoming now slowly more important? I think we're at a spot right now where depending upon where a program is, the pendulum is kind of swinging back and forth. You know, like with IU right now, you know, when you have, you know, four or five losses or whatever, and you lose, you know, key players, and your primary guys are younger guys, you know, freshmen, sophomores, and you like them, you know, Trey Galloway, Chris Gunn, Caleb Banks, et cetera. You know, you like your young guys. Malik Renault certainly uh, had some very good moments. But you need some more, a little more proven productivity. Sometimes the pendulum kind of swings toward the portal is more important for at least maybe one cycle. And there are other programs who do, you know, just have had coaches in place a little longer. So their primary guys are, you know, guys who may be getting ready to be juniors or seniors or what have you. So I, I think it's it's really program dependent right now. It kind of does swing back and forth. Um, but for Indiana right now. Uh, this spring is really important as far as how many proven offensive weapons are they going to be able to get uh, to make sure that they're clearly uh, an NCAA tournament level caliber roster uh, come come next season. Yeah, and, and again, I, I know this varies, Jeff, and that that's a, that's a good question because it just kind of seems like now you almost it, it's almost even in terms of how you have to start. And then how you have to end up reloading now more than ever, utilizing the transfer portal. Yeah, and when we're seeing that happen, you know, we're seeing, you know, teams make deeper runs in the NCAA tournament. But we're also, one of the other things that's interesting is I think it was, was it 16 or 18? I don't have it right in front of me. Starters in the Final Four were seniors. So you kind of got options. You can go get older guys in the portal. Or you can have guys who you bring in as freshmen to develop, who know your system, and you know really uh, understand what you're trying to run, and really can kind of lead young guys. Um, and it's interesting talking to college coaches. There are some of them who look at the transfer portal and go, "Man, if I grab three good players every portal, and my other guys are my complementary players, my role players, we're an NCAA tournament team." There are some other coaches who look at it and go, "I don't mind filling." some blanks but i want guys to come into my program learn my system and by the time they're juniors they they know what they're doing they can run it i don't have to worry about building chemistry with my main guys every summer and every fall and 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 have to kind of like redo it like almost like an nba team grabbing free agents every year so it also depends a little which coaching staff you talk about um there are some who look at the transfer portal and go eh I can go get me three, four guys every spring, and that's what I'm going to do. And if I have 11 guys on scholarship and I got two studs, two other really impactful players, and three really solid role players, I'm going to roll with the main six or seven. A couple guys can fill in here and there, and that, that's how we're going to do it. It's a Jeff Rob Johns of Peaks.com and the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, and we knew that Mike Woodson and company needed to utilize that in a big way, trying to make up for the losses of Trace and Jalen Hood Shafino. Um, I'm curious, Khalil Ware from Oregon, who was a freshman a year ago in Eugene, is uh, the second to Peyton Sparks uh, transfer portal 
player that was picked up by IU. It's been kind of interesting to see on one side of it, IU fans really happy. Hey, this is a guy, talented, former McDonald's All-American, started out well, didn't end well, obviously, for Dana Altman's team in Eugene. I want to get your opinion on both the good and the still somewhat question marks that surround this, even though, you know, obviously, as an athlete, you love what they're bringing in, but it does it does come with some questions, I guess. Yeah, I think the the upside is, you know, the potential – the physical tools, um, the fact that, you know, he runs the floor incredibly well. He plays above the rim. He can rebound. He can block shots. He's got a really good lob finishing game. You know, he's got some post moves. Um, he has shown the ability to make some threes here and there. You know, 27.3% isn't going to jump out. But that does show there's a seven-footer out there who can um, make some shots. And I think sometimes people get a loss, lost sometimes in per-game averages for young players who are just coming along. And let me give you an example. You know, Ware averaged 6.6 points, 4.1 rebounds, and 1.3 blocks. Uh, Those are season averages. But sometimes when you want to look a little deeper, it's it's good to, you know, kind of try to get a little apples to apples. I think everybody would agree Malik Renault, very good player for Indiana, very promising, had a number of good moments as a freshman. Everybody expects him to be, you know, a very good sophomore. Well, if you look at Kellen Ware's per 40 minutes, what he does per 40 minutes on the court, his per 40 averages 16.8 points, 10.3 rebounds, 3.3 blocks. Malik Renault's per 40-minute averages 16.5 points, 10.0 rebounds, 0.7 blocks. So Ware's per 40 is actually a little bit better. And I think with, with young guys, you also have to keep in mind progress. Okay, and what is the potential and what is a player's ceiling? Not everybody's going to reach their ceiling, obviously, but you have to look at, okay, what is a player's ceiling? Um, you know, there's a, tons of examples we could grab, but let's just grab like a real, a real one. Austin Reeves played his first two years at Wichita State, only averaged 6.1 points, 2.5 rebounds, and 1.6 assists. As a transfer to Oklahoma, as a senior at Oklahoma, Averages 18.3 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 4.6 assists. So that's just an example of a guy who had a, didn't have big numbers, had a change of scenery, had an opportunity to develop his game, and, and really, really took off. And with Kellen Ware, that's what you have is the opportunity for a young guy to, to really take off. Um, obviously, you know, the concerns are, you know, he did lose a little playing time as the season went along at Oregon. Um, you know, is Mike Woodson going to be the coach who really can uh, sort of revitalize where his confidence in his own game, revitalize his confidence in himself, and just sort of unlock the potential that's there? So that would be the question, Mark. But I think if, if you're going to take a – I mean, he's the number two rated player in the transfer portal for a reason, and that's because, you know, his, his physical tools – our NBA player. That's what his physical tools are. Now, not everybody who has NBA physical tools makes the NBA. We all know that. But when you look at what can you do with a player, there are some players whose ceiling on a scale of 1 to 10 is only a 5 or 6, even if they max out their ability. There are other players whose ceiling is you know, an 8 or a 9. And where is one of those kind of players? And that's why he has the potential to be very helpful for Indiana. And the other thing is, nobody's looking at anybody anybody to replace senior year Trace Jackson Davis's numbers. I don't think anybody's going to do that, not in college basketball. I don't know if we're going to see senior year Trace Jackson Davis again in college basketball for any team, much less IU. 
but Ware has the ability to be a very impactful center with his physical tools, his ability to run the floor. There are things that are a little more modern to his game that can be helpful with some of the things that Mike Woodson wants to run at Indiana. So what happened with his fade in playing time as a freshman this past year? I mean, I just think it's a little little bit, you know, they had a couple other guys who um, a little older and, um, you know, sometimes coaching staffs just gravitate toward the older guys. Um, I think it was a little bit of, you know, a lot of freshmen hit a little bit of a wall, even really good freshmen. Um, I mean, we saw it in this state with, with the Purdue guards, you know, they came out of gangbusters in November, December, hit a little bit of a freshman wall. Sometimes that's just natural things that happen to a freshman. Um, so I just think that's kind of what we saw with, with where Oregon's roster was with some older guys. And then, you know, a player who's, you know, maybe, I don't know if his confidence, I, you know, some people have told me that, that they think his confidence really waned. Um, so if that's the case, you know, you see those things happen with, with freshmen sometimes. It's uh, Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So maybe go over some of these other targets, specific targets, and maybe some names that, you know, are, are, are not quite as solidified as, as others that still may be on Mike Woodson and company's radar. Sure. I, th- I think that the top guy clearly is Chris Ledlam, the 6'6 forward out of Harvard. Um, Indiana, you know, Mike Woodson and staff, they did an in-home visit. They had Ledlam on campus for, for an official visit. Um, he's going to take a couple other uh, visits. Uh, Tennessee and St. John's are the two that are on the docket for this weekend. And then I think a decision next weekend is, is at least an option for him. So he's the main guy you look at as far as who has been on campus for IU for an official visit and whose decision is probably coming probably the soonest. Um, and again, which direction he's going to go, you know, nobody knows yet, but he's certainly a top tier guy. Um, they're looking at Dalton connect six, uh, six forward from, from Northern Colorado, very good shooter, averaged 20 points a game last year, uh, shot 31%, uh, excuse me, shot 38% from three on 6.3 three-point attempts per game. I use talking with him. You know, I was talking with Cormac Ryan, the 6'5 shooting guard from, from Notre Dame. He's, he's in the transfer portal and has put his name in for the NBA draft. So there's kind of two parts to, to Cormac Ryan, but he's on the radar. Uh, Al Ellis, 6'3 uh, senior guard from, from Louisville. Uh, he's another guy who's, who's on the radar. But there's been some communication with Al Ellis in Indiana. Um, if they go back to adding another big, um, they may look at Jalen Deloach, uh, six foot eight center slash power forward from VCU. Um, the question with Deloach is with Indiana, they already brought in two centers. Do you want to bring in another guy who's primary and interior player? So that's going to kind of be a Mike Woodson decision as far as positionally, where do you go? Um, and then there's some other guys, you know, on the radar. Um, Naheem Alani from, from UConn, you know, he's got one year left, uh, shot 37% from three last year, averaged, uh, he's averaged 8.3 points per game for his career. He's on the radar. Uh, a guy named Matthew Cleveland, the six, six shooting guard from Florida state. He's on the radar and, um, you know, maybe a couple other guys, but those are, those are probably the main guys that are definitely on the IE transfer portal radar with some recruiting activity going on as things stand today. Now I say, as things stand today with the caveat, every hour we see people entering the transfer portal. So right. I know people have been following the portal for a while and it feels like it's been going on for months. It is just the second week of April. And I get the very strong vibe. There's going to be more names into the portal. And I think there's a chance that 
Potentially, potentially more names appear on the IU radar. I really liked watching this kid play, and I hadn't heard much about him, not in terms of IU, but certainly I think L.J. Cryer of Baylor still floating around out there as well as a guard. Did IU, from what you'd heard, have any interest in trying to get him? Um. Yeah, I don't uh, – yeah, Um. No, you go ahead and shoot that. it down. You sound like you want to shoot it down, and that's okay because I I did no, like watching I, him play. Think, no, he's he's a really good player. I think I think he's I I think Cryer is looking other directions right now. Oh, okay, that makes sense. It does. I was just kind of curious if maybe they. Oh, he's, they might, he's a good player. There's might. no question. He's a good player. I mean, you know, this past year, you know, I I got notes on him up. You know. He averaged 15 points, shot 41.5% from three. There's, there's no question LJ can play. Yeah. So so you expect even more names to drop in there, like significant names maybe, to drop in that transfer portal as we move forward here? I don't know if I call them significant. Um, I, players who are probably going to get looks from Power 5 programs, you know. Um, but I, I don't know if I would say significant. I think most of the big names are in, you know, Clearware, Hunter Dickinson, you know, guys like that. I, I, th- I think most of the main guys, I think, again, transfer portal season is freaky, John. I mean, it's, it's, this is recruiting at warp speed. That's why, know? that's why I'm, that's why I'm turning to you for this because I get lost in that freaky a little bit. So. Dude, I, I had I, a friend of mine was uh, a- advising a player. This wasn't IU related. It was just a friend of mine who was advising a certain player on transfer portal. And uh, he calls me in the morning. He's like, yeah, you know, I, th- I think he's going to cut it to four or five here today. I'm like, oh, okay. And he tells me the four or five. And he calls me back a little afternoon. He's like, you're not going to believe who else just called. I think we're going to go with, with the final six or seven, maybe eight. <laughs> so, oh, okay, okay. All right. And then he calls me back like after dinner time. He's like, man, he's like, so-and-so took, took this guy. So they're out. But, but so-and-so called. And, and we may go talk to them and visit them. So this is this is just an example of how fast this stuff goes. That's a recruitment that changed multiple times in one day. One day. That that's transfer portal land in a nutshell. So, are most of these connections from the transfer portal? I guess we'll all ask it in terms of IU and and where was was there a prior connection with you know assistant coaches on the team that ended up landing this or how many of these I guess I'm asking this as well how many of these are just created new fresh relationships between staff and player in the portal on the fly like this I mean some are brand new uh some are situations where um Programs have a pretty good idea of, okay, what are you looking for positionally? Well, we want a point guard. We want a wing who can shoot, or we, we, we need a slasher who doesn't have to shoot. We need a big. And anytime somebody enters the portal who fits those parameters, bang, you, you jump on him. You reach out to the player. Maybe it's high school coach or, or, or somebody else who's close to him or what have you. Um, sometimes that there, there are pre-existing relationships to where when somebody enters the portal – you know, you know somebody, and like in the example of where you know who's originally from Arkansas, um, IU assistant UC Rosemont has a lot of uh, connections down south. You know, obviously Yaz originally from from the Atlanta area, so he knows a lot of people in, in that area, and you know he he knew some people down there. So when Ware entered the portal, you know he was able to talk to Ware and talk to people who you know Ware knew and Ware trust Ware trusted. So there were some pre-existing relationships that were helpful. So it, it, it's kind of both. It, it's not. It's, it's one of those situations where one blanket, it's not like you can throw one blanket over all situations. Right. Sometimes it is pre-existing connections. Sometimes just, just hey, 
you know, Don, you're in the portal. You're, you're, you're a six foot three shooting guard. We got a spot for a six foot three shooting guard. You want to talk to us about our situation? Yeah. Okay. And boom, he's off to the assistant coach, maybe a couple of assistant coaches. You get on a zoom with the head coach. And sometimes these relationships happen really in the matter of weeks. Anthony tells me, and I'm assuming you knew that too, LJ Cryer committed to Houston. That's where he's going. That's right. Houston. Yeah. yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. I just know that watching him play for Baylor. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching he and, for example, Flagler play together. I, I I liked watching that group play, and that goes back a couple of years. I think these guys were either on the bench or maybe getting some playing time when they they won the national title a couple of years ago. But uh, I enjoyed watching them play, and I thought, man, you talk about a volume score on the backcourt. You know, that'd be something that a lot of teams would look at. But apparently, Kelvin Sampson's been on that at Houston, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's going to Houston, and, and like JJ Starling, um, you know, he transferred from Notre Dame. He, you know, he's a really talented scorer, but you know that thing was. I think everybody knew when he entered, he was going back home to Syracuse. So, you know, sometimes these things happen pretty fast. Sometimes, you know, guys really want to take some visits and get recruited and see see what's what. How big of a deal was what Hunter Dickinson decided to do and enter the transfer portal a couple of weeks ago? No, it's a really big deal. Uh, I mean, he's he's the number one rated guy in the transfer portal right now. You know, Kalil where where is second, but Hunter Dickinson is number one. So that's that's a big domino to fall. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see if all the Kansas rumors are true or not. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, um, you know Maryland just hired his his former high school coach, so it's going to be interesting to see if that previous relationship has an impact. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, these rumors about, you know, Kentucky may try to jump in late. Is that real? Is that not? You know, I don't know if anybody's really sure. I don't even know if the schools recruiting him are 100 percent sure on exactly what's going on. But he's he's highly coveted. There's there's no question. He is highly coveted in Kansas. Kansas really wants Hunter Dickinson. That's uh, Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com on the Andy Moore. Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah. So you, you look at that and then you look at the guys that left not via the transfer portal but in this case both trace and and jalen hood shafino what steps are they taking right now moving to that next level either right now or what's on the uh, short-term horizon for them in preparation for the nba yeah jalen hood shafino is planning uh to go out to la and he's going to work out with some trainers who do draft prep for guys um trace is likely going to do the same i don't know if he's got his plans locked in um just yet but that is what he did last year when he had put his name in for the draft. Just if nothing else, get some feedback, do some workouts. Um, so I think that's most likely for them is to go out to LA, do some, do some draft prep. And then um, after that, um, they both want to get a, an invite to the NBA combine. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. And then after that, um, maybe even before the NBA combine, but certainly after their goal is to do workouts for individual NBA teams and, uh, and get ready for the draft. Um, and I, it's it's really interesting because there's a lot of interest in Jalen Hutchinson among teams generally in the 10 to 20 range. Um, the number of teams that have called me and asked about you know what was he like as a high school player, as an AU player, as all that kind of stuff. There's there's a number of teams doing doing deep background on him. So I, th- I think he's pretty pretty well slotted into 10 to 20 may go higher than 10 if he really blows somebody away but he probably have to blow somebody away to move up past 10 but i think 10 to 20 is most likely right now and again they haven't worked out for single nba teams so a lot can change when nba teams are looking at him in their facility with trace 
you know, making the bottom of the first round is now a very real possibility for him. Um, you know, there are some teams who look at him as a very good athlete, rim runner, rim protector, you know, athletic big off the bench, um, you know, tremendous lob game. You just kind of throw it up toward the rim and you know he's going to go get it. You know he's going to rebound very aggressively. Um, and, I, and one of the things that really changed some teams' opinion of him was how well he started passing this past year. You know, he averaged 4.0 assists per game, which is a tremendous number for a, for a center. Um, so I think there's some teams that are that are pretty interested in him and that are probably going to be around the bottom of the first round. And the other thing for Trace is going to be, you know, what does his shooting look like in front of NBA teams? Um, everybody knows, you know, he, he wasn't a shooter from distance in college, but you know, you can you can work on some things during your draft prep. And if teams see a shot that they project well, you know, that that's something that can help you. Hood Shafino, um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, was not like a one and done NBA radar type of guy coming out of high school, which he certainly transformed his game into. So there he is right now. What what kind of impression does that give, you know, possible recruits on what Mike Woodson and his staff can do for a kid like that after one year and then getting this opportunity that Jalen Hood Shafino has at going to the NBA as a legitimate top 16 top 15 pick in the upcoming draft yeah your your, your evaluation um of, of where he stood entering college was right um you know nobody was looking at him as, as a one and done everybody said you know two years you know he'll probably get there in two but it's going to be two and he got there in one so that's a really important card for indiana to be able to play in recruiting they can show specific development they can show hey we took a player who wasn't projected to go in, into the NBA draft in one year. We got him there in one year, and we got him into the first round, and we got him to pick 15, 16, 10, 12, whatever. So that, that's a really good card for Indiana to play in recruiting, both in the portal and, and, and with high school players, especially really talented high school players, because then it's not a selling point of, of you don't have to tell a kid, hey, believe us, trust us. You can demonstrate it. You know, we, here's what we did. Here's Jalen Hedgefino's game film from high school. Here's film from late in the year. Here's film from when he dropped 35 in Mackey Arena. You know, you you can demonstrate things. So that's definitely a helpful card for Indiana playing recruiting. Yeah, just kind of wondered that. Seems like it would be too because that's uh, yeah, that was certainly a, a big deal. I, you know, it just to me with Trace in mind, I hope that he gets some place. To me, it, it's almost like. Jeff, go someplace that's already had success and then mix in with a successful group. You know, add an ingredient to that already successful group and then play off of that. I I don't know if anything stands out to me right now, but at least scenario-wise, that's what I'm hoping for him in this draft in June. Yeah, and I, I think a place where you, you have – um, those elements and, and a pretty solidified starting front court where there's not going to be pressure on him to come in and produce where he can really sort of work his way into a rotation where he's just going to be asked to, Hey, come in off the bench, you know, be helpful, rebound, defend the rim, run, you know, be a rim runner. Um, you know, if you can get out in front of front of your guy, just sprint to the rim, we'll throw it up to you. I, I think that that would really help him a lot. And, and as you and I both know, you know, there are guys who have made NBA careers out of being very good bench players. 
you know, not everybody's going to be a starter. And if you understand your role and you go in to be as productive as you can be, you know, you, you can carve out an NBA career. And I think Trace Jackson Davis has a chance to do that. That's uh, Jeff Ramjohn's with us. John Martin just asked me a good question, too. If Xavier Johnson doesn't get hurt, you think Jalen hood Shafino shows this and is a one and dunner? I'm going to say probably so, and here's why. Um, I think Indiana was still going to do a lot of the ball screen stuff with Fino that they ended up doing in, in January and February. I think they were going to do that anyway. And that was one of the big things that NBA scouts really liked, his ability to turn the corner, his ability to that, that pull-up jumper, um, his ability to make decisions. Um, so I would say probably – although it probably would not have been as pronounced. Um, I don't know if you have your backcourt mate with you. Do you have a 35-point game you know, on the road at Purdue? Maybe not. But I think the specific skills that developed probably still would have been there. They would have been seen. And you know, those are the kind of things when NBA teams bring, bring players in for workouts. You know, it's usually six guys. You know, Because a lot of NBA stuff is really – three people involved on offense, you know, a, a passer, yeah, right. a big or somebody in the corner and, and, and a guy set the screen. So I think the skills that Jalen Hitchfino developed at IU still would have been on display. Point totals might've been different, but I think the skills still would have been there. And I think Jalen Hitchfino still probably becomes an NBA first round draft pick. Any latest on Xavier Johnson? How's he doing? Uh, he's doing fine. Um, you know, they're, they're still waiting. You know, the, uh, the timetable for this. I mean, they're, they're hopeful to get an answer this month. Um, you know, but, but these, these are, these are NCA committee decisions. So, you know, you really don't know. You don't know exactly how many, how many, how many folders the people have sitting on their desk. Um, you just don't know, but I know Indiana remains hopeful. Um, that, he, that he gets the, the medical red shirt, and I know they are hopeful that, that a decision comes this month. But again, NCA decisions, dude. You know, I mean, well, maybe they're listening right now too, and we you, you can expedite the process of of them going through that folder on their desk. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys are listening, do me a favor, put Xavier Johnson's folder on the top of your desk just to make my April easier. Okay. And I'm sure you care deeply about my workload in April, but if you do. Just help me out a little. What, what's Kevin much. Lennon do over there? Does he have anything to do with this? Can we get him to grab somebody's folder and go through that? <laughs> uh, I got no idea on when that. When we start one, naming bro. names, yeah, that'd be good. That's what that's what they love over there. When we, we do that, we so. gonna get both of us in trouble. Yeah, here. probably. Yeah. Par for the course. Man, I appreciate all the updates, too. I know a lot of people wanted that regarding IU, the transfer portal, and more. Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. Jeff, thank you. Have a great weekend. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Indiana Sports Talk. Coming at you at 9.30 tonight. Coming at you tomorrow night as well. It's Bob Lovell with us. Hello, Bob. How are you? Hey, John. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yes, fantastic. What's going on with McCutcheon and Harrison getting booted out of a conference? What's happening there? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the backstory is. I was really surprised when I when I read that this morning. Um you know, conference uh, affiliations kind of a, a fluid thing nowadays. And you know, back in your day, in my day, you you didn't move, you didn't leave. And I think, um, you know, in, in some respects, um, sometimes these things happen. You know, we've seen it with the Mick um, yeah. and others. But I I don't know exactly what the story is. 
I was surprised because I think the you know affiliation with those schools makes a lot of sense geographically, competitively. I think that they bring a lot to one another's schedules and a lot to their programs, and so. Uh, I'm sure we'll find out much more in the next few days. Did Harrison and McCutcheon get booted out, or are they leaving? I don't know. I mean, I was a little unclear on that myself. I, I initially heard they got booted, and then I think Sam King, who does a great job at the uh, Lafayette newspaper up there right. online here, Sam King said Harrison McCutcheon leaving the conference. To go someplace else? Is that the question? I mean, trying to be an independent sometimes gets a little tricky. I would guess so. I, listen, I I have watched and listened to Eric Moore try to put together his football schedule. I know right, that. Right. So, I, I know the, that. You know, the, thing to, you know, the thing to remember is, uh, is football is extremely important to what you're trying to do. You, you, I suppose you can make money on your basketball schedule, but for the most part, the money's to be made playing football and having, uh, you know, sellout crowds on a Friday night five or four or five times a year which can generate a significant amount of money. And uh, trying to put together that kind of schedule gets tricky, as we're finding out with Center Grove, obviously, as a perfect example. And so I'm not sure if you voluntarily left uh, and don't have a landing spot, uh, I'm I'm sure people would question the wisdom of that. So without knowing the details, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to know these things, and I let you down once again. I'm curious about this. And Bob Lovell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We have seen more of this recently than, at least in my recollection, is this kind of going to be what we're going to, to recognize? Will this become sort of the norm here, you think? Or is this just kind of a an outlier the past couple of years with that in mind? Uh, I'm not sure it's an outlier, but I, I think that there have been some changes in conference affiliations. And um, I think one of the things you have to look at uh, is that communities grow, communities um, you know, increase the size of their schools, and some decrease the size of their schools. I mean, think about that. You know, if your enrollment is dwindling at a school and you're playing a, let's say you're playing a 4A schedule, now you're reclassified as 3A. You know, you bring up those questions of why do you want to continue to compete with people who are larger than you are? And so, you know, I think there are geographic concerns. I think there are attendance concerns that might make you look at whether or not you want to continue to stay with the conference affiliation you have. I think if you (laughs) – excuse me, John (laughs) – if you're in central Indiana, uh, you know, your, your enrollment is skyrocketing, and so – it makes, these types of decisions seem to make more sense to me uh, if you're in a major metropolitan area. And so, um, again, I don't know the, the details. It'll be interesting, and I'm hopeful we can revisit this issue when one of us finds out more information. You, you, I can let you cough really quick, too, man. You just ask me to take no, no, over for a no, minute. I'll let you cough. I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate you caring about me. Well, so I do. I, listen, yeah, I, it, I, your I, comfort I, matters I, to me. It does. No, I, I, I missed a weekend of shows a couple of weeks ago. I coughed my way through last weekend. Um, I just, uh, I just, and then you know, you know, I obviously with a heart ailments, all the problems I have with my heart, I'm on uh, copious amounts of medication. Yeah. For first time in a while, I read some of the info that they give you uh, at the pharmacy about the information. 
Here's one that caught my eye, John. This this was a good one. Okay. May cause coughing. May cause dry coughing. Oh, no. I thought, well, you know, I just diagnosed my cough. No need to go back to the doctor, for heaven's sakes. I think I have herpes. Well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 happy for you. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I'm glad somebody uh, is. Yeah, great. But, uh, so great. Yeah, that's okay. That's just yeah, that's something great. to aspire for. So good for you. But the uh, twice, it's not really herpes. It's a cold sore. But I've told this story before about twice a year for whatever <laughs> reason in the <laughs> same spot yeah. on my lip, and this has happened that for whatever reason this has happened. For about the past 20 years, I never got a cold sore ever until about 20 years ago. And then it just kind of pops back up here twice a year. It's a biannual herpy effect that I have. I don't know why. So I guess uh, I guess us kissing on the lips isn't going to happen, right? (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to hide it right now because, you know, I'm really vain, right? I'm embarrassed by it. So I've got a lot of luck. I put a lot of foundation on that to hide it right here for sure. It's Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk. Tonight, tomorrow night here on The Fan, as always, uh, you got to check it out. I should say stations around the state of Indiana, you got to check that out. All right, so coming up in May, the IHSAA Board of Directors will meet. Uh-huh. Got any ideas what? for what should be addressed moving forward here during that meeting? I think the biggest thing on the agenda is uh, this uh, legislation they're, they're proposing in terms of redoing classifications um, based on you know in, uh, specific enrollment figures. Uh, they do it now where they just have a number of schools uh, and uh, literally count down the number, and, and when they get to that particular number, draw a line, and if you're above it, you're in this class, you're below it in another class. They're trying to tighten that up and get uh, more specific um numbers uh, cutoff numbers which uh i think when they get to i think they're gonna my guess is that's probably what they'll do and that they'll pass it i think there's enough uh, interest in the part of the administrators around the state and coaches and, and uh, others that they in fact will do that and um uh there's a groundswell if you will of support board a lot of people like it gives you a, a lot more equity it's getting harder and harder obviously, uh, to put all this together and and make it worthwhile. They're not going to cut down the number of classes. I think they're locked in uh, with what they currently have. And so I think that'll be the number one agenda item on their spring meeting. Um, is that is that necessary, in your opinion, moving forward like this? Well, I think that they, you know, the coaches associations and the athletic directors have spent a lot of time studying it. And uh, they they are really in favor of doing this, John. I mean, you have – I mean, think about it. You have Carmel with 5,000 students in, in 4A, and then, um, what, Franklin? I think, you know, we're, we're – we're, I don't know what we have, but, you know, we don't have 5,000 students in our high school, and so we're, in the, we're playing for the same football championship that they are. And so um, it, it, it is going to – you know, there will be teams that will move up and move down. It'll redo some of your sectional alignments without question. Uh, and you know how people get out of, out of shape when you hear about, oh, we're no longer in that same sectional. Uh, I think they've also looked at the impact it'll have on travel because we all know that that gets as further on you advance. Some of those travel issues become uh, severe for, for schools. And so uh, I had uh, the commissioner on my show a couple of weeks ago talking about it. And, you know, I, I inferred from that conversation that there's a lot of support to do this. 
And uh, I'd encourage people to go to IHSA.org and find out more information about it because it's uh, it's something I know they're they're going to address in their in their upcoming meetings in their their spring board meeting. It's a Bob Level of Indiana Sports Talk. He's got you covered tonight and tomorrow night. In closing, I don't think I ask you this. I know I did Greg Rakestraw, and again we're we're further down the road and after the fact here. Um, and, and a little bit of time to soak it up and to see just how great a season they had. But where would you place the unbeaten state title season of Ben Davis among their predecessors of greatest of all time category here? Where would you well, slot them? How would you describe them yeah. compared to those? Yeah, you, you, you clearly put them in, in a class uh, with all the other undefeated, the, the Warren Centrals, the Washingtons, the, uh, the East Chicago's, you know, the, the, those – uh, they have to be in that pantheon, so to speak, of great teams. They did what they did, and I granted these are different times. I understand that what they did was insane. They have 34, 35 wins, playing the most difficult conference in the state, the most difficult schedule in the state, and yet they didn't lose a game. So from my perspective, you know, you know, I'm not going to say they're the greatest. I've never gone down that road. But they have to clearly be considered just like you consider all of those previously unbeaten and storied programs in our state. Without question, they belong in that category. Yeah, I, I agree. It just they had – I mean, it, 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 was, it was just an impressive season all the way oh, around. And especially yeah. after – uh, you know, a January point where you know you are targeted as such each and every week. It's not like the schedule gets any easier either. That that was one of the, of the more impressive efforts I've seen for sure. Well, yeah, especially when when you, again, you think about who they played and and just think about that whole perspective of being in the mix, playing. You're playing. You're, I don't know, I haven't looked at it in terms of specifics, but, you know, you, everybody on your schedule, two-thirds or over on your schedule, all have winning records, all have really, really, really solid players, and you dispatch all of them. And um, I think it's an incredible accomplishment without question. So, Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk, what you got coming up tonight, tomorrow night? John, I have absolutely no idea. I'm kind of like you getting prepared. Just going to roll in here, do you? Well, you know, I mean, I especially on your takeover. You know, you just <laughs> yeah. I, I love yeah. the opportunity to have tension in my life and not really know what's going to happen, what's going to happen. No, we're going to spend a lot of time, to be honest, talking about spring football. It's one of my favorite topics. Yep. This time of year, we're going to talk about racing as we inch closer and closer to the month of May. How do you not like that? High school baseball, I'm a huge fan. Played on two sectional championships as a Quaker. Nice. So I love that. And so well, we, I brought up I brought up Max stuff. Clark. I brought up Max Clark of Franklin yesterday. He can too. play, brother. Oh my hey, goodness, can he play? Bob, I brought oh. this up too. I can't remember oh, a time. God. I don't think it's ever happened where there is a legit argument that can be made nationally that in softball and in baseball, the state of Indiana have the two best players in Keegan Rothrock at Ron Colley and Max Clark at Franklin. And, you know, given, uh, given the fact that, no. that, that Keegan is, I think from Whiteland and Johnson County originally there, right. that would be Johnson County has the best softball player and the best baseball player in the nation. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Why don't you? You should, uh, everybody should. Why, why, why do uh, not, 
more I, agree I don't even with me. Understand if there's an argument, why would there be an <laughs> argument? They're 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 that good. They really are. Mm-hmm. Well, you can have I that. You can you, put you, that out yeah. there. That some of your folks are going to have on the show about that too. And I, I just you I for you want to move to Johnson County, don't you? You feel a. a all, all, all I have to do is cross the road. All I have to do is cross the road. Yeah, I just walk out. If I walk out on the other side of the road, my yard off of Banta Road, I'm in Johnson County. I just happen to – I pay taxes in Morgan in County. County. So, yeah. Yeah. Your heart's in Johnson County. That's the key. <laughs> my toilet flush is in Morgan County. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> I, that, uh, on a different day, I would have had so much to say about that. I know you would, buddy. I know. Mooresville days, but I'm going to leave that one. I know you lobbed it underhand, but I'll go ahead and leave that one alone. Hey, feel better. Have two great shows this weekend, right, and John. we'll do it again next week, Bob. Thanks. Great to talk to you, as always. Thank you.